0: The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their Healthy Kitchen Oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Wirth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Allie McLean, Katie Pettuccini and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? Real? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Reel. In episode 243 of The Real Food Reel, we share with you an episode from the Love & Guts podcast where I share my journey through low-fat eating, depression, quitting gluten and turning to real food and launching The Natural Nutritionist. We cover my athletic journey and how I was inspired to become a sports nutritionist, to disrupt the space that is still brainwashed by big food, We then take a deep dive into carbohydrate myths, sports gels, metabolic efficiency, how to optimize sports performance, and so much more.
1: Welcome to the Love and Guts podcast. Today I have Steph Lowe on the show with me. Steph Lowe is a sports nutritionist, triathlete, founder of The Natural Nutritionist, a hub for celebrating the importance of real food, and the author of The Real Food Athlete. With a passion for spreading a positive message about real food and the incredible effect it has on performance, Steph launched The Natural Nutritionist in 2011 and is on a mission to inspire others to make health a priority in their lives. Steph's extensive nutritional experience spans from elite athletes to schools and corporations where she has worked with the likes of Grilled, the burger chain, to develop new menu items and educated workplaces about real food for productivity and performance at work. So in this episode, we cover how Steph found herself supporting athletes with their nutrition, what were some of the challenges Steph experienced with performance, mood and mindset with her previous diet compared to the LCHF she implements now. The principles of Steph's low-carb, high-fat endurance program, why we shouldn't be petrified of all carbs, what are some of the common challenges or experiences that an athlete would face moving toward a lower-carbohydrate, higher-fat diet, how they can overcome them or make the transition easier, how long can it take for someone to become metabolically efficient, Steph's thoughts on the ketogenic diet in relation to sports performance, and does it have its place? what Steph would like to see happen in the space of nutrition for athletes and how an athlete can recover from an athletic event well and so much more. This episode is proudly sponsored by Better Me Tea, an all-organic herbal tea I created, which helps support digestive health and helps promote more regular, satisfying bowel movements. And by the way, it tastes amazing and has a loyal following in its short two years of existence. So to learn more about Better Me Tea, simply go to lindagriprich.com and go to my products page and you'll find all the information there. And as always, I do like to mention that all of the information in our podcasts are not intended to diagnose or treat a medical condition. So please ask your health practitioner before beginning any new treatment. Hi guys, and welcome to the Love and Guts podcast. Today, I've got the fabulous Steph Lowe with me, otherwise known as the natural nutritionist. And she's also got her own podcast called The Real Food Real. So welcome to the podcast.
0: Hello. Thank you so much for having me.
1: You're very welcome. It's good to have you on. Absolutely. Can't wait to chat. So, as always, there's a bucket load of questions that I'd like to get into. So, I want to know about you first, especially for those that don't know who you are. How did you get to be working in the space of nutrition for athletes in particular? Wow. How much time have you got? (laughs) surely you've done your elevated pitch before
0: totally yeah yeah I'll summarize it for you but I definitely developed an interest in nutrition as a teenager that unfortunately quickly turned into quite an unhealthy relationship of calorie counting and low-fat eating and quite a significant amount of weight loss Um, I remember my mum at the time took me to a dietitian and I I've got this sort of visual memory of sitting in the consult room and and thinking, wow, cool, she gets to sit here and talk about food all day. And I think looking back, that definitely planted the seed for me to explore working in the field. Um, But it wasn't until I had uh, my own personal experience cutting out gluten. So um, along the way throughout my teenage years, I definitely had some challenges with depression, And there definitely wasn't the education that there is in the space now around the link between our gut health and obviously the foods that we eat and how that relates to our mental health. Um, But I was encouraged by someone that I met along my journey to remove gluten. Um, And, you know, this is over, I think, you know, 13 years ago now. And I don't think anyone really knew what gluten was back then. And it certainly wasn't something that I was familiar with but it was really a huge catalyst for me to investigate what is real food and the hugely powerful health transformations that that can facilitate. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for me, the catalyst was cutting out gluten, but I went on to learn so much more about real food and I had a, a huge transformation in not only my mental health, but definitely my relationship with food and turning it from an unhealthy obsession to you know, nourishment and, and how I could fuel my body. Because it was so powerful, I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to be able to share this with other people. So mm-hmm. I went back to study nutrition at a tertiary level um, with a passion to spread that real food message. So I started my company The Natural Nutritionist, which we'll call TNN because it's a long um, couple of words, but, you know, TNN, we um, started in 2011 and we've been spreading that message ever since. So it's awesome to share it with you today.
1: Mm. And the athlete side of it, so Mm. you've come from a background of athleticism yourself, right? So marathons and tries, is that right?
0: Mm. Um, I do more like half marathons and I've done, yeah, some lots of short-course triathlons and a handful of half Man. Yeah.
1: And, and so you uh, tailored, you then spec- like specifically got into sports nutrition?
0: Yeah. So what happened is, you know, when I went back to study um, at that tertiary level, you know, unfortunately, first of all, it starts with the food pyramid and by that point in time, I absolutely knew that things were upside down. Mm. Um, and then we go into the sports nutrition space and it's all about, you know, carbohydrates and sugars, we see the, you know, the archaic carbohydrate loading protocols and and gels and anyone that's tried a sports gel knows knows firsthand how opposite from real food it is and when we dive deeper into the ingredients, how inflammatory they are and I've only ever really had a handful but I remember like, the taste of my first one and just being absolutely disgusted and <laughs> being really, you know, really inspired. to create change and to to teach other people that there is another way so initially that started with me diving into the research of you know of our leaders like you know Jeff Foleck and Phil Maffetone and what they've been talking about for decades but the rest of us have been brainwashed by Gatorade and big food and big sugar Mm. um, up until now and certainly it's not the change isn't happening overnight but for me it was yeah that I knew there was another way and I, I wanted to share that knowledge so I um, definitely work with, you know, a wide array of clients, but my little niche, which I love, is all low-carb, high-fat for endurance athletes, so that sports nutrition that you mentioned.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, look, I can't can't wait to get into that because it isn't something I specialise in, and I know that tweaking the dietary, um, the nutrition for these particular athletes is a bit of an art at times. Mm. But in regards to the goo, I'm totally with you there. I remember attempting a run, which I'm not a runner. I remember attempting a a run in Canberra one day and we went um, and the food itself there that was being sold was horrendous. But I remember trying a goo gel for the first time, had no idea when to take it and just took it before my race. And, you know, as, as you're 100% aware you don't want to try anything new before a race. And I felt so wired. I did not last long at all. It just messed up my bowels. I felt really, really wired because I don't naturally get that much sugar into my diet. And so, yeah, not a good experience with those good gels. And I'm sure, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'd love to know where you, sit with the whole goo gels a little bit later on down the track when we talk a little bit more about nutrition for sports Um, because I heard you say that you've actually got your own goo sort of gel, like you're sort of one that you make yourself. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, your dog is all too common. You know,
0: um, athletes spend weeks sometimes, you know, months, training only to think about their fueling on, you know, the Friday before a Sunday race or in this conversation they're having with their physio in passing. And, yeah, people, um, you know, unfortunately aren't aren't educated. So they either, you know, rock up to race day or they desperately run past the bike shop to grab something because they realise they've left it for the last minute Um, and it often ends in tears because you haven't trained on it. So, you know, our number one rule is that nothing new happens on race day. (laughs) But, yeah, because we've had so many of these conversations over the years, we created our own fructose-free gel called Freedom Fuel. It's become world famous, actually. I'm super super proud of it. And um, it's all natural ingredients and refined, sugar-free, easy to whip up in a blender, and it's quite tart. So the opposite of the the really full-on sweet flavour that we see in the majority of our commercial sports gels.
1: So what's it made up of, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah,
0: for sure. Happy to share. So the two carbohydrates that we use are raspberries, pretty low carbohydrate obviously being mm. a a berry, um, and rice malt syrup. So, you know, traditionally we know that rice wouldn't be like, you know, quote-unquote super paleo, um, but... It's fructose-free. so As a sweetener, it's our preferred choice because fructose is that very inflammatory sugar and it is the sugar that causes the water to be drawn to the gut. So where that digestive distress comes for a lot of athletes, the, mm. you know, fructose is the huge problem. So rice malt syrup is the sweetener. We use MCT oil, which is medium chain triglyceride oils so we want some good fats in there for blood sugar control ketones obviously as a, a preferential fuel um and then we use lemon and salt for our electrolytes beautiful so all yeah really easy ingredients and you just blend it up and either carry it in one of those sort of plastic um gel flasks or you know my cyclists they carry it in just in a normal bottle in their bike cage
1: yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And were you always following a LCHF way of eating from day dot? So say when you were training or when you were doing some sort of run or sports or have you experienced a different way of eating with a sporting activity such as running? And do you can you do you want to expand on the the differences that you felt in body and mind by having those different diets if it if that applies?
0: yeah for sure. so I mean, when I first got into nutrition, as I mentioned, I went very low fat, so you know what do you eat when you cut out all the fat well you're still you're absolutely having a lot of carbohydrates, like you know i never um I never followed the really conventional athlete model, which is you know the four hundred to six hundred grams of carbohydrates a day coming from bread and pasta and orange juice and you know, even sometimes things like conventional lollies are recommended to get that huge volume in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I honestly think that because I'd cut out all of the fats, you know, my brain didn't have any fuel. So, of course, I had, you know, challenges with my mood. My hormones didn't have any building blocks. So I didn't have a menstrual cycle for years. It's like I lost count, but I'm talking like seven or eight. Mm. Um And, you know, went to doctor after doctor and, you know, they all told me that it didn't matter, you know, (laughs) that it wasn't a big deal, which is a whole other sort of can of worms. Mm -hmm. Um, But also without the fats, I was starving. Like I remember literally just counting down the minutes until I could eat every two hours. That was, you know, one of the other recommendations and a big myth that I break down a lot at TNN because we don't want to be burning sugar and having to – fill up that tank every two hours. And for, for people with an unhealthy relationship with food, it absolutely perpetuates that, right, because you're bound by your appetite. You get afraid or completely, um, you know, concerned with going hungry and therefore you have your muesli bar or your low-fat yogurt or I used to eat those medjool dates like they were going out of fashion and mm. they've got like, you know, 30 grams of sugar <laughs> in each of them. Um so, yeah, it caused a whole host of problems. So, you know, to come back around to your question, like when I moved onto that low carb, high fat template, it was really life changing. I had fats for my brain and for my hormones. Um, I completely transformed my appetite because finally I was feeling satiated from having these beautiful, nutrient dense, whole food fats. Um, And I went from being bound by my appetite and snacking every couple of hours to only eating every five or six hours. And, you know, from a performance standpoint, when you burn fat for fuel, like I'm sure we'll dive into it more, but, you know, firsthand how life-changing it is because Mm -hmm. you're not only removing the, the inflammatory sugar, which is everyone's worst nightmare, not to mention an athlete whose number one goal is recovery, Um, But when you burn fat, you essentially are bonk-proof. You know, you never run out of fuel and you're not bound by these excessive amounts of whether it's a goo or a Gatorade or similar, um, you've got that metabolic efficiency. So. It completely transforms your training and racing experience.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. And even for those that aren't, you know, an athlete as such, you know, Mm. it is not being consumed by your next thoughts of your next meal when it's going to come and what you're going to eat and never really feeling satiated. You know, you don't have focus for anything else. You are completely Mm -hmm. consumed by it. So, yeah, it's. I think it's. It's really important, and I want to get you to run through the principles as well in a moment, especially of your um, program. Mm. But I did have a question around. um, First of all, are you still competing? Are you still doing your big, (laughs) big marathon half marathons? Not right now.
0: I'm sort of living vicariously through all my athletes that I work with. (laughs) I, I think I will in it maybe a couple of years, but I'm in a bit of a different sort of focus with business and, and um, yeah, just some, some personal family planning, you know, goals now. So endurance um, is a lower priority for me at the moment, but I'll definitely do another event.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, beautiful. So you speak a lot to lower carbohydrate, higher fat, and even have a low-carb, high-fat endurance program. So I'd love for you to share us what are some of the principles of the program. And just to clarify, mm-hmm. it's not no fat, is it? And it's not a keto way of eating. Is that right? Yeah, well,
0: it's not no carbs, absolutely. Oh, great sorry, point. that's right. Yeah, no
1: yeah. carbs.
0: Yeah, so I think that's a really important point to start off. So, like, you know, the acronym is LCHF, which we use to – compare it to the food pyramid, so lower carbohydrate, higher fat than the food pyramid, which is a very important thing because we know the food pyramid is upside down. Um, But lower is definitely not no, as you say, and it's really important that we think about this in context. So I use a spectrum when I talk about carbohydrates in in terms of um, grams per day, which I'll I'll get to if if you like but you know ultimately the number one goal is girth so just eat real food mm-hmm. so if you focus on food that comes you know off a tree out of the ground or from an animal by default you are naturally far lower carbohydrate than the food pyramid and the carbohydrates that are available to you are natural whole foods and therefore nutrient dense which is the goal for food right like i'm all for enjoying food and yes we want it to taste delicious but the number one goal is nutrient density and that's absolutely you know a really important part when we talk about carbohydrates because many of the options that athletes are presented are a carbohydrate but they're very nutrient poor Mm -hmm. like breads and cereals and muesli bars right yeah so Yeah, it's lower and we focus on where the whole food carbohydrates come from, but there's a lot of sort of nuances around that. So do you want me to talk about grams per day? Would that be helpful for some context? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And if you can put it Mm. into the context of what that actually looks like would be great. Mm -hmm. So for for those that aren't weighing food and aren't (laughs) aware of what it means. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I don't think anyone needs to weigh food either. No, I'm not an advocate (laughs) of
1: that at all.
0: Um, yeah, so the actual definition of LCHF ranges from as low as 25 grams of carbohydrates a day to as high as 150 grams of carbohydrates a day. So, if you think about that on a spectrum, it's obviously quite long. And that's important because where you sit, the listener, depends on a number of factors. The first factor is definitely your current level of carbohydrate tolerance or intolerance. So, if you've got if you've basically got carbohydrate intolerance like pre-diabetes or even diabetes, you need to be right down the end at about 25 grams a day, which would be our more traditional ketogenic template. Mm-hmm. It's rare. I have to do that and I try to avoid doing that in a in a athlete environment because they've got, you know, training and usually some high-intensity training to recover from, but, you know, for some people about, you know, a two-week period of a reset to start to get them out of sugar burning and and into fat burning and really actually start to reverse some of their metabolic damage that's been caused from a life of excess carbohydrates and excess refined carbohydrates. Mm. Um, But most of our listeners are probably going to sit somewhere in the middle. You know, the, the 150 grams a day is usually a male who's at their goal body composition, who's doing a lot more intensity when it comes to their training because your carbohydrate requirements are relative to your exercise intensity. And that's a mantra that I teach all my athletes. So I'll say it again, your carbohydrate requirements are relative to your exercise intensity.
1: So so we shouldn't be petrified of all carbs, and I want us to get into this mm. because so many people are—we've gone a bit carb-phobic, So I'd love for you to speak to that. And sorry for cutting in.
0: <laughs> no, no, not at all. Because I could go, I could, I could go lots of different directions with this, and it's a really important topic to explore. Because yeah, carbohydrates are essential. I mean, fruit and veggies are carbohydrates, right? So they're actually the most one of the most nutrient-dense, like next in line to organ meats, but. You know, they they are what contain and what we should be getting the bulk of our plate from, especially vegetables. And, um, you know, athletes that are doing high-intensity exercise have much greater requirements than someone who's sedentary because when we exercise, you know, the lower the intensity, the more fat we burn, and the higher the intensity, the more carbohydrate we burn. So especially when we're looking at those higher-intensity sessions, we need to make sure we're replenishing that carbohydrate which is the muscle glycogen right mm-hmm. that that storage how we store carbohydrate in the muscle so we have a concept called nutrient timing and it's the timing of those carbohydrates in the post-training meal now it's not you know training in the morning and smashing the carbs at night for dinner it's the meal that you eat within the hour post-training because when you're doing a high intensity session you do need to refuel mm-hmm. and the carbohydrates in that well-balanced plate are going to replenish muscle glycogen. They're not going to give you an insulin spike or that blood sugar roller coaster or cravings. They give you nutrients for refueling and replenishing muscle glycogen. And in my opinion, it's that best of both worlds. Like it's, pardon the pun, have your cake and eat it too because Mm. we don't want to cut out these nutrient-dense sources of um, energy but the timing does matter. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%, 100%. Thank you for clarifying that. So if you were just like the general exerciser, say you exercise five days a week, you're doing a combination of Pilates, maybe some yoga, possibly you're throwing a run there, would you? Would timing just be about making sure that you are getting sufficient carbohydrates through your days on the days that you're exercising, for example, um, rather than eating straight after a, an exercise burst if that makes sense because mm. it's not that um, say for example if I was to do a Pilates class one morning not really breaking the sweat maybe occasionally and then but I'm just ensuring that throughout my day that I'm getting sufficient sufficient um, carbohydrates would that yeah. be what you would recommend in that instance rather than the athlete that's doing high intensity or endurance or you know how does it yeah. differ there
0: yeah, for sure. So then it comes back to the energy system. So we know that the high-intensity session is mostly using that glycolytic system, so we want to replenish the glycogen with the carbohydrates. Then we know a Pilates or, you know, usually a yoga, a long, slow LSD, like a long, slow distance ride or run is aer- aerobic. So that's mm-hmm. the aerobic energy system. So if this system runs, it should run, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> ideal world is it runs on fat. So – you actually don't have a huge replenishment requirement after that session. So it does depend on your current metabolic profile, but especially if you're trying to accelerate that your metabolic efficiency or becoming fat adapted or burning fat for fuel, all the terms that we can use to describe a very similar you know, metabolic goal, it's actually a really good idea to try and Not fuel straight away because your body's still burning fat in that window. Mm. So, to directly answer your question, you don't actually need a lot of carbohydrates in in that aerobic environment simply by including, you know, your two cups of vegetables with every meal, a little bit of resistant starch for your guts, some Mm -hmm. berries for your antioxidants and your anti aging benefits. Like, you'll be at about 15 to 20% of your daily intake coming from carbohydrates. And for most people, that's more than enough until they start to add in intensity where the requirements shift upwards a little
1: bit. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. And so while we're on the subject of it, for uh, what would be your go-to carbohydrate sources for both, say, the endurance athlete straight after within that hour and just for your average Joe throughout the day? Obviously you've mentioned resistant starch there, so mm. cooked and cooled potato and, you know, those sorts of things. What other things would you – let's start with the athlete one hour after, mm. say – whatever you consider to be a high intensity run or a you know a long slog what would you recommend within that hour and I guess that would depend on when they did the run
0: yeah it does I mean the athlete the athlete's favorite food should be sweet potato when it comes to that carbohydrate or that more complex carbohydrate um so i like to do the resistant start so it's that best of both worlds so as you know you obviously cook it in advance it needs to cool it can be reheated mm-hmm. but you know a simple sunday roast of some sweet potato which you can then throw into your omelet if it's a p- sort of post-training breakfast or add into your curry or into your salad if it's a post-training like lunch or dinner. Um, The volume, though, is quite individual, but as a general guideline, I give my female athletes half a cup and my male athletes about one cup. Yeah, beautiful. Um, But it's obviously not on its own. We know that resistant starch does an amazing job at sort of blunting the insulin response, but in that cup, you might only be getting about five grams of resistant starch. So, you still need to factor in the overall carbohydrate load. So, you don't eat sweet potato by itself. You can pair that with your non starchy veggies, quality proteins, healthy fats. Um, and then you get a really well balanced plate with that slightly higher carbohydrate for the muscle glycogen replenishment in the hour after a high intensity session.
1: Yeah, beautiful. And for your, well, I guess that really applies to the types of carbohydrates you would use for the average Joe as well. It would just be the timing wouldn't be so specific.
0: Yeah, if they're only doing the the more low-intensity sessions, then there isn't actually a requirement for Mm. more of the complex or starchy carbs. So I think, you know, the berries, like a smoothie with berries and avocado and your greens and, you know, they'll be, probably still 20 or 30 grams of carbohydrates in a meal like that Mm. and that's more than enough absolutely
1: yeah beautiful excellent anything else you want to say on carbohydrates before we move on from that
0: um yeah i think the i mean obviously we discussed that the the source does matter Mm. um but you know you wanted a little bit more information about um Portions, And I think, you know, we've been talking about grams and I don't want that to kind of turn anyone away because, you know, as we also discussed, I don't think the weighing is necessary. So mm-hmm. I did mention that sort of half to one cup as a reference. Um, but in terms of the overall day, I like to work off percentages. And the reason why is because then it's relative to your entire intake right so on a rest day we should be actually eating a lot less food so if your carbohydrates are you know let's say 15 to 20 percent of a rest day then the number of grams you eat per day are actually quite different to 15 to 20 percent of a training day where you're eating more food yeah does this make sense so far oh totally yep yeah so i love that sliding scale because too often we see like online programs or diets or people, like I see meal plans, you probably do too, Linda, where people eat the same thing every day. And I really try and educate away from that because we have different requirements every day. Like personally, I'm lucky to get 10,000 steps one day Then there are others where I'll do, you know, 20,000 and a really hard yoga class. And even though none of that's, you know, necessarily high intensity, my body needs more fuel some days. So we've got to think about that scale. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned the mantra to you before that you're, Carbohydrate intake is relative to your intensity. Yeah. So that's one. But the other is to think about the fact that your, your, Overall intake is relative to your output, so it's that sliding scale relative to what you it do. Is. And it's really good for your metabolism to eat less some days and and have like a refuel day on another day. That that um, variety is the spice of life for your metabolism.
1: Absolutely, and I think sometimes if you if you are body aware and you start to listen to the signs and symptoms of your body, it's it's something that your body naturally tells you because you will often find if you're doing, say, a hard workout that you might feel a little bit more like you that you're needing to consume a little bit more or you're needing to flesh out that lunch or that dinner. And if, say, say for example, if we travel and there's a lot of sitting down, we're at a conference or something along those lines, my intake is probably a little bit moderately under what I would normally eat if I am mm-hmm. being active, but it's more a case of actually just feels better to be doing that. Um, so I think sometimes we can naturally tap into that, and I know for sure when a guy comes home from his uh, weight training, it's like, right, where's the food? You know, get mm. it, give it to me now. It's like he just needs that much more. Um, so yeah, sometimes it, the, the body does tell us, give us those little signs and symptoms. So for sure, and that's important to tap into. Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent. So what are some of the common challenges or experiences that an athlete would face when they're moving toward a lower-carbohydrate, higher-fat diet?
0: Yeah, I mean, their addiction to carbohydrates is the first. Like we know that carbohydrates are like more addictive than recreational drugs um, and a lot of people are really on that absolute vicious cycle of, like we said before, being, you know, bound by the appetite so needing to eat every two hours and they're addicted to foods like breads and pasta so a lot of people when we like say in the clinic when we first talk to them about how to build their plate and we're talking about you know the non-starchy veggies and the proteins and the healthy fats like they're like yeah yeah yep yeah, sounds really great love this concept and then they go away and when push comes to shove they're like they're faced with the fact that their favorite foods like Probably don't fit into that template very often, mm. and that's a hard realization. Which is why I love to go back to that just eat real food and that nutrient dense conversation because that's what our aim needs to be. You know, where do we get the bulk of our nutrients, or where do we get the, or how do we get the most nutrient dense foods on our plate? So that can be a fair, you know, I guess hurdle to overcome. But it's so much easier when you are focusing on the non starchy veggies, quality proteins, and healthy fats because you're getting an abundance of nutrients. You're getting great blood sugar control and satiety. So you then, you know, you then you learn tan that you don't actually need carbs to feel full or bread complete a meal or whatever the stories might be that you've been sort of, you know, walking around with for decades. Um, but the one thing to remember is that when you're following the food pyramid or a conventional athlete template is you are a sugar burner. And when you stop eating your predominant fuel, you enter what is known as a, the metabolic gray zone. So it's this gray zone when we've pulled out your major fuel source and you can't yet access your diesel engine, which is your fat stores. Mm. So it's, a, it's about four to seven days um, and depending on the state of your Previous carbohydrate addiction and how much sugar you were consuming each day, for some people, it's a major detox process and it's not pretty. Like, it has to be done to be able to switch over into that fat burning zone. Um, But you also don't have to dive in the deep end. Like, the time that you start this is important. So, you wouldn't do it too close to a race. I definitely think, like, you know, the off season or when life's a little bit easier can be beneficial because you know, the the detox process is going to be part of it while your body gets rid of the toxins that you've been consuming every day. Mm. Um, so that metabolic grey zone is where we need to be really practical with our training expectations. So a couple of rest days never hurt anyone. In fact, that's where we get all the benefits, but we all choose to ignore that sometimes. Mm. Um, but, yeah, making sure you're filling your plate with an abundance of whole food to make that transition as easy as possible knowing that it's going to be over in like less than a week ideally and then when you're burning fat you've got you know a minimum of 60,000 calories most of us have hundreds of thousands of calories available which is that unlimited energy supply that makes you really metabolically efficient
1: mm. and I love that you mentioned that. I think that people and kind of need to be aware that when they are, are moving towards that metabolic efficiency and they're becoming more the fat burner um, and tapping into that sort of fuel, that there is that transition phase that they may mm-hmm. feel quite lethargic for like a couple of weeks, that they may be experiencing some of the detox symptoms because then they might just throw in the towel and go, oh, it's just not working for me. I feel horrible. This is not working. I don't know what everyone's talking about. So, I think it's really good to be aware. that these things may actually come up to persevere Mm. that it will kick in eventually so you reckon about four to seven days did you say or longer than that
0: yeah no it shouldn't take longer i think if it takes longer there's something else going on like there's you know some which there will be for most people, but there's more of a severe sort of like Herxheimer reaction, like a a pathogenic bacteria die off, or they've decided that LCHF means no carbs and they've put themselves, you know, too far um, on that spectrum that we spoke about earlier. So, you know, that's why I think it's really important to have guidance when you go through this because you can, you know, you can avoid huge challenges if you do it properly like things like hydration are really important when you're detoxing Mm. more sleep you know looking at what other toxins you're exposed to or managing your caffeine intake like Mm. you know it's multifactorial yeah
1: and like you mentioned the plant food as well previously so the cruciferous veg all those sort of Mm -hmm. things that support your detox pathways so you mentioned uh like low like no no carbs so mm. let's talk about the ketogenic diet in relationship to sports performance does it have its place
0: yeah it's a tricky one because it, the the term is actually quite broadly used these days like mm-hmm. i think that you know when i think of the true sense of the ketogenic diet, I think 25 grams a day. So I think, okay, absolutely, if you're treating epilepsy, absolutely, if you've got quite progressive type 2 diabetes. um, But I, I think in a really metabolically healthy, especially athlete, who's training, that there's no need to go anywhere near 25 grams a day. I think about 50 for two weeks is a good reset, foot on the accelerator, let's get burning fat and let's get out of that carbohydrate intolerance spectrum. But beyond that, the whole point is that our metabolism is really efficient. So when you've done that transition, you should be actually tolerating carbohydrates really well. So it's the best of both worlds. Like one of the real problems with keto is you actually become then like metabolically inflexible and you only are good at burning fat. Whereas the middle zone that we're talking about, like that fifteen to twenty percent, or, you know, let's say round number, a hundred grams of carbs a day, um you're metabolically flexible. So yep, you can burn fat, but you've also got access to your glycolytic energy system. So you can perform the high intensity sessions, you can get faster, you can get those performance outcomes. So again, it's that that, that best of both worlds, especially when you're metabolically healthy. And the whole point is that you can tolerate carbohydrates, especially when they come, you know, from a vegetable.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's we, we don't we underestimate the importance of them. I think for me personally I've uh, was doing ketogenic for a very long time probably when I first heard about it and now I'm and whilst I felt amazing at the time and for probably a number of years, I've uh, now just getting my stool test done and, and hormonal health it's like right how much of that has contributed to some of the dysfunction that's going on from what I see in, in some of the the path labs that I've just received back. It's like, yeah, that's not working for me right now. And it probably wasn't working for me for a number of years, but because I felt a certain way in the beginning. So, I think there's a danger of jumping on um, fad sort of diets or things that you've heard others are doing really well on without really understanding where it can be used. And I consider a a ketogenic diet- like a therapeutic diet, like you mentioned mm-hmm. for those conditions that you you know brought forth, I think it really is excellent in those instances. But when we're just jumping on it for the sake of um, possibly maintaining a health, like maintaining certain weight goal or whatever, then it be- can become a bit dangerous for, for some of us.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that about the stool testing because that's the thing. If if keto's not including resistant starch, the gut bugs die, right? And that's a huge problem. huge. ketogenic (laughs) diet needs to be really well prescribed. And, you know, there is that natural sort of fear of carbohydrates that's often paired with someone that's unfortunately poorly educated in that keto space. So, Mm. you know, we know that gut health is number one, so resistant starch has to be included to give those gut bugs some food so they can obviously thrive and and do all their their magic tasks.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So... Oh, there's so many questions, Steph. Where do I draw the line? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to ask one question that I really, really want to know about, and I'm going to cycle back to a couple more if we've got a bit more time. So, I really want to know about recovery from an event. So, say from an athletic performance or like a marathon or an ultra or, you know, a try. I'd love Mm. to hear some suggestions on how someone can recover well, both mentally, emotionally, physically. You know, that sort of stuff, especially if they're that first-time marathon event runner or maybe they just do it quite frequently. But in those areas, what are some little – I know there's probably lots and it depends on the mm. person, but some snapshot things that you could um, recommend because no doubt like you would really – when you have these um, a long endurance sports or high-intensity sport, no doubt we we can be in that sympathetic dominant mm state and sometimes we can remain in that state so how do you support those areas
0: yeah for sure so i mean definitely from a physical point of view it comes back to the food on your plate and your ability to absorb absorb nutrients so we obviously have to look at replenishing with the right foods. so you know an event especially is going to be high intensity so that goes back to our refueling within the hour the inclusion of some complex carbohydrates um, if you can't get to sweet potato, then you know go and find a smoothie with a bit, little bit of fruit in it, just to make sure that you tick that box. But as I mentioned, I, you know I, well, I didn't talk about fruit specifically, but I don't like carbohydrates on their own. That's not going to do the job. You'll be hungry. It'll spike your blood sugar. So a smoothie where you can use your almond milk and your chia seeds and you know, maybe some, some quality protein powder, you can at least tick that box and then you can go to the party and celebrate and do all the things that you want to yeah. do after an
1: bed, right? Um, Line the stomach with some carbs <laughs>
0: first. <laughs> get, some, get some nutrients in. Yeah, um, not
1: just carbs.
0: <laughs> mm, absolutely. And, you know, that sympathetic nervous system state is an interesting conversation because, you know, as I'm sure you've spoken about many times, that's not where we digest food. So Mm. what we try and think about is, all right, yes, we need to refuel within the hour, but no, immediately when I cross the finish line, in no way, shape or form, am am I in optimal digestive state? So, you know, things like going and doing a quick soak in the ocean or legs up the wall or some diaphragmatic breathing just to try to really get that body coming down from that sympathetic high and trying to promote as much parasympathetic rest and digest as possible in that situation post-race, so that when you do add that food in, you're obviously going to absorb the nutrients. Um, I think that's an important strategy for recovery and obviously lowering cortisol levels because Mm. they've been, you know, pretty high for the duration of that event. Um, That's obviously very relative to duration as well. I think, you know, it's, apples and oranges when we talk about a half marathon for most people are doing it in two hours or less versus an Ironman whereas most people are looking at you know 10 up to 17 hours like that's Jesus very different when we talk about endurance sports. so mm. Ironman like you know there's nothing there's nothing healthy about Ironman so people <laughs> that love doing it need to be committed to you know not only their their food but definitely their gut health because that's not only how we absorb nutrients but it's going to be how we absolutely accelerate the recovery from an event that does so much damage to the body. You know, that physical effort that's required over 10 to 17 hours mm. is, is not going to recover with a smoothie and a quick legs-up with you, right? <laughs> totally.
1: It's what you do pre-race and pre-try and all that sort of stuff as well as post, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I think a really... Um, you know, a well-developed gut health practice is essential. I mean, you know, we we probably most of us know that of bone broth, it is like the number one superfood. And I think in terms of muscle cover- recovery alone, the glutamine, the collagen, the glycine, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful nutrients to help recovery. Not to mention the electrolytes. And I think. You know, you probably get this too, Linda. Some people are a little bit resistant to it, but I just think it's, it's a non-negotiable. It's about finding a way to make it work. You know, of course, you can drink it like a cup of tea, but you can hide it from yourself like you would hide vegetables for a child if you find it a little bit off-putting initially, especially while your taste buds adjust Yeah. in your meals, you know. You can do dehydrated broth in in smoothies if you don't like the taste of a cup of broth, but it's, you know, it's essential for that recovery
1: process. Absolutely. And there is a link between, correct me if I'm wrong, there is a link between, say, running and uh, intestinal permeability, isn't there?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So
1: extra reason to really support the, the gut lining and integrity with those beautiful nutrients you've mentioned.
0: Yeah, without a doubt and obviously an Ironman's next level when it comes to that, that you know quote-unquote leaky gut mm. and then most people at some point in the day have had a gel or 34 gels and some coke to get across the finish line so their guts are absolutely destroyed. So Jeez. rebuilding is really important on the other side.
1: Wow, yeah, absolutely. And what the hell is an ultra? <laughs> Can you explain ultra- to our audience who don't know what an ultra marathon is? What is that?
0: There's anything above a marathon. So a marathon is Jesus. a standard 42. Mm. So an ultra could be 50, it could be 100, it could be seven days. Like there's many different variations of it, but it's essentially, yeah, a just, bloody just long run. Forrest,
1: <laughs> just Forrest Gump. Just keep going and going. <laughs> Jesus. Yep. So what are your thoughts on things like, it? I know that there's probably – Two different schools of thought with this particular therapy post-exercise and for reducing inflammatory biomarkers, muscle injury, and supporting the uh, autonomic nervous system. But things like cryotherapy or Mm. cold water immersion, where do you sit with that? What's your thoughts?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the research is pretty clear, even on the benefits of like adding a couple of minutes of a cold shower. Like, you know, Mm. I think that's a really great place to start. When I think about that sort of advice, I just always sort of meet the client or the athlete where they are. I think we need to have our priorities in order and make sure that we're, we've got the time to focus on our food and our gut health. And then the lifestyle practices are definitely, you know, amazing, but it depends on like resources and, and time and things like that. I mean, I think cryotherapy would be amazing for recovery after an Ironman. Um mm-hmm. But, yeah, it would just depend on who I was working with as to whether I felt like that was a super practical recommendation at that point in time.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a total novice question because I'm not an athlete, but have you noticed the difference with recovery, and I'm sure you have, when you have adopted this LCHF way of um, being, for one of a better way of saying it, with your sports compared to, say, the low-fat Higher carbohydrate back in the day, and especially around the the mental health. I mean, I hear of people after a math marathon um, really experiencing some emotional shifts or just you know a low vibe for one of a way of, better yeah. way of saying it. So, have you noticed a difference by implementing the LCHF um, to mood post? A big event like that where you've been training for months and you've just, you know, your your whole focus has been this event possibly for some people Mm. and it's really punished the body in a particular way. Um, What have you noticed there with the different styles of eating?
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of different angles that we'd need to explore there. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people use an event as a way to get back on track with their food Mm. and then I think it's very easy to sort of fall into a bit of an obsessive approach, which the, which then is like not sustainable beyond the event. So after the event, you know, they're straight to the after party and they're back eating gluten and, and sugar. So naturally they're going to feel horrendous because yeah they haven't developed a plan that's sustainable beyond the event. But, I mean, the number one thing, the perspective is, yeah, when you cut that inflammation, the recovery is 10x. So most athletes – that follow a more conventional high sugar model uh, are also experiencing these long-term inflammatory injuries and spending, you know, weeks and hundreds of dollars at the physio not making the connection back to their gut and what's going in their mouth. So we not only see improved recovery but we see significant reduction in these inflammatory injuries, especially the long-standing ones that seem to have no um, resolution yeah. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. When um when the event finishes, I think it's really important to ramp up that gut health focus so that you've got good neurotransmitter and obviously serotonin production, so you're supporting your mood. Um, and find a way to make your program or your plan sustainable because You you can. You can set yourself up for an event but then obviously sustain that real food LCHF lifestyle on the other side so the benefits continue.
1: Mm, No, I like that and I love the focus on not just letting the preparation stop at the actual race day, thinking about the post on the other end, how you're going to support yourself And you know what it reminds me of, and this is is totally left off the center, but it's like the menstrual cycle. If it's screaming out at you every single month that, you know, it's, it's just heavy hurts. It's just debilitating versus just something that comes and goes quite smoothly. Mm. Um, You know, it could be the difference between the, you know, your post recovery and how you support yourself pre, pre pre-event and, um, you know, the nutritional needs, mental needs and all that sort of stuff with how you front up at the other end of a race, possibly.
0: Yeah. And so why I encourage people to, to get a plan together, you know, in that sort of at least 12 to 13 weeks out because, you know, I was just thinking about what we were talking about earlier about you know, that what maybe the mistake that you made in the past where you decided to try a gel on race day. And I think Mm. we've got to look at the significance of the the, the role that nutrition plays and, and start looking at it when we start our training program and not having it as a last minute decision. And, you know, I've got, I've heard stories of people that have sort of been training and you know, eating lots of carbohydrates and then getting a couple of weeks out from an Ironman and realising they were nowhere near race weight so they decided to go down to 500 calories a day and keep training for an Ironman. And I'm like, oh, I just mm. think that's so insane. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and then what do you know? They've, they they might lose a little bit of weight but they completely ballooned back out On the other side, so what I said before about people using an event to get in shape, like I see that especially in sugar burners, they're 10 or 15 kilos heavier on the other side of a race when they go back to their food pyramid versus my athletes, like they might fluctuate one or two kilos, but they don't have to get to a race weight because they're already there so it's that long-term plan acknowledging the importance of real food and I believe LCHF can work for everyone especially when it's periodized properly you know it doesn't need to be keto um, but I think it's pretty clear from what we've unpacked today that the benefits go beyond being an athlete right we're talking about Longevity. We're talking about inflammation, which is the cause of most, if not all, chronic diseases. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the goal is to move away from inflammation, and that comes down to what you put on your plate.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And men and women, just Mm -hmm. quickly, what are the big differences that we should be looking at with when it comes to nutrition in particular between Mm. the sexes? And obviously, you've mentioned uh, the amount say for example mm. um, may may differ between the sexes what else is there any other significant things that we need to be aware of and be mindful of
0: yeah definitely um, so absolutely the amount so we have um, we know that in general men are more carbohydrate tolerant than women mm-hmm. um, they usually eat more so then the percentage of the total volume means they, they are having more grams of carbohydrates a day so that's definitely part of it Um but you know a lot of the strategies that we use to expand someone's metabolic efficiency is a version of fasting so you know i love 168 where you fast for 16 hours and you eat in an 8 hour window the science around fasting is you know 100% clear on the benefits for metabolism and and longevity and anti-aging but like and firsthand i know it doesn't suit women like the research that only looks at men would indicate so mm-hmm. with you know new research it's really important we look at who it's who it's studying because we can't pick up research on men and apply it to a female of childbearing age who essentially has you know four seasons in a month and you know probably will respond well to a softer application of fasting in weeks one and two but may find that it's just not sustainable in that lateal phase of the cycle weeks three and four mm-hmm. you know speaking quite generally but I think that's important to remember because I love fasting but we don't want to do it um to the detriment of our menstrual cycle and as Mm. you said earlier like it speaks loud and clear so for females that can be a red flag that you've taken things too far either you know overtraining, too little calories too little carbohydrates too much fasting and and the list goes on
1: yeah absolutely
0: Um, we've got to look at linking the dots so okay, let's try some fasting in weeks one and two uh, and maybe in um, the second half of the the cycle we can still like fast as in eat breakfast later, right, intuitively, but we don't have to be aiming for 16 hours if it doesn't feel quite right and and that time of the month. Yeah. That's another one of the big differences that we see. Um, Guys in general, you know, they I think can get away with more it's the testosterone versus the estrogen conversation again. So it depends on the goal, but um, usually I think the female might find it a little bit slower when they're moving on to an LCHF template, yes. especially if they're expecting like the fat loss to happen like it would on a calorie canning plan. Um, we've got to manage expectations and, and I think, you know, educate around that evolution of the metabolism and that it's not a quick fix. And I think, Working with an experienced practitioner is really important. So you have someone to help you tweak it so it works really well for you and then you can shape it as your metabolism changes and as your training changes and as as you change, as your goals change as well.
1: Absolutely. No, I think, it, you know, some form of health coaching is really important with a health practitioner mm-hmm. um, to just keep you on track and tweak it, as you said, as things change. So... Where is the triathlon, marathon, all that sort of stuff community at with the low CS? I can't even say, LCHF movement and its principles. Are they still sort of, you know, like I said many years ago, having those um, big stalls where they're just selling lots of, um, I think it was like Chico Rolls and scallops and like real, real. it was I I was obsessed with Chico Rolls growing up, which is really disgusting to say. But I remember this event was just full of those sort of, you know, um, food stalls where it was just really fried rubbish food, lots of carbs. Carbs, but lots of really poor quality carbs. So, where is the whole community at? Like the big bodies with um, recommending nutrition? If that I think makes they're sense. sitting on the
0: fence, unfortunately. So, okay. you know. I've been doing this for a long time and when I first used to talk about any kind of LCHF or you know even natural fueling with athletes people would look at me like I'd just fallen out of the tree mm. and yeah, that was quite challenging you'll probably know as well Linda like we thought eggs would give us heart disease and there was a million myths around nutrition and the food pyramid And and now over the last sort of five years especially we've seen this amazing real food revolution but there's not a lot of research there yet so mm. it's hard to sort of prove it to people that are um, unsure or more conventional because they're always like, where's the research? Where's the research? But we always know that we're like three to five years in front of the research because of the time that it takes to complete a study and get it published in a top tier journal and, you know, all the red tape that goes along with that sort of an exercise. So, you know, I think the faster study that came out, a couple of years ago now was a huge catalyst for even the conversation around the benefits of metabolic flexibility and and being fat adapted as an endurance athlete but we've got a long way to go so we still go to the expos and see you know gels and and refined carbohydrates but now we're seeing you know brands that are talking about being fat adapted and we've got generation you can and they're super starch and we've got keto bars and we've got this conversation and it's definitely there. Um, but I think the myth that LCHF makes you slow or makes you lose your top end is still too strong mm. um, and it is a myth. I think that only happens if it's a poorly defined as in no-carb template that some people fall into the trap of. Yeah. Um, but we've got to keep passing that myth so we lose that resistance to trying lchf when ultimately it's just just eat real food and that works well for everyone
1: absolutely that is that is the big key message there if you would actually dissect what the lower carb lower carb higher fat diet looks like it is very much just eat real food it very much is um mm. so my final random question to you is um, mm. I'd love for you to share either a book or a movie that has had much impact in your life to date mm. and why Can I have a few? yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'll choose two We do have five minutes left um, <laughs> just to let you know
0: <laughs> um, I'm a massive fan of a book called The Four Agreements yes. and I'm not. I think everyone's read it. (laughs) It's like a, I don't even know, a worldwide bestseller. It's written in hundreds of languages. Um, I just remember reading that decades ago now and it being just really pivotal in terms of like, you know, not only how I wanted to live my life, but how I wanted to educate and interact with my audience. Um, And it's a really simple read, especially in that sort of personal development space where someone might not be as open-minded as as you and I are to... um, to diving a little bit deeper so it's also a really good entry level book for someone that's starting to think more about the power of the mind and um yeah like how they want to basically interact with the world around them.
1: Mm. love that one.
0: <laughs> and then I am absolutely obsessed with Brené Brown. So I love um all of her books but definitely Braving the Wilderness, Daring Greatly, I think in the world that we live in and, you know, I'm all over social media, don't get me wrong, but I think what we're seeing at the moment is a lot of this, um, you know, the highlight reel and we're seeing this comparison artists and people uh, like are not feeling like they can express their real selves. So Brené really talks about being vulnerable and I really connect with her around that because I think it's really important that we use, you know, social media to our advantage but we try and break down the barriers and, and its current weaknesses and what it's doing to some people's health and mental health and and how they're feeling about their own lives um and obviously Brené is isn't just about social media but it's just really about stepping
1: into you as 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 your true self and I just I just love what she's all about mm, I love her too I love her too and she's I've heard uh, her on being interviewed many times and I remember <laughs> Sorry, Brene, if I botched this up, but I remember listening to her once and it just made me love her even more where she said, I've stopped saying yes to keynote speaking events. If they ask me not to swear or use God in um in my mm-hmm. lecture, she said, because that's me. And okay. if you're not able to take me as myself, you know, often I sometimes I might swear. Sometimes I might mm-hmm. use God because I'm trying to express something. And I just love that she just doesn't falter there. That she's obviously she's human, she's vulnerable, she still has her insecurities here and there, that she's not afraid to be herself. And I think Wow, what a relief when you can just implement that in your life where it's just you're not comparing yourself to others and, yeah, look, that's exhausting. But um,
0: yeah, (laughs) any others? Did I interrupt you? No, no, I just, I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts um, and – I often share them on social media over at The Natural Nutritionist, definitely on my Instagram stories. So I'm always sharing my inspiration, but I I do have like a a bit of a list of things that I definitely turn to when I'm needing inspiration. And Brené is number one. Um, I love Elizabeth Gilbert and a bit of Oprah.
1: (laughs) Yes. And you you know, the funny thing is, Steph, this morning, no word of a lie, I was feeling slightly sensitive about something and just going, why am I attaching to the outcome of certain things? And then I picked up the Four Agreements. No word of a lie. Get out. And I read that second chapter, which I think is "Don't take things personally," because I mm-hmm. needed to read it. So for you to say that just it just freaks me out totally. Fre- nothing surprises ages. me in life anymore.
0: No, I love that. That's awesome. And I must I must pick it up again. It's hidden somewhere in my bookshelf. I haven't read it for ages, but I'll definitely have to. Um, yeah, have another flick and just pick up a few more gold nuggets. Yeah, it's it is
1: a really easy read. It is a perfect mm. one to, to re refer back to. So where can people find you? Tell us where to yes. find you and what so you're love, up to at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love um I love Instagram, so definitely my handle is the natural nutritionist. Um we're also over at LCHF Endurance and LCHFendurance.com. So um Depending on when this episode is aired, I've got a a 12-week online program for endurance athletes who want to learn all about LCHF endurance and transform their metabolic efficiency and become a real food fat adapted athlete. So we've definitely got lots of information happening on social media about the program. We've got a private Facebook group called Team LCHF Endurance if you wanted to jump in and, and learn more. I'd absolutely love to connect with you guys. Um, and then, yeah, usual um, Facebook else. Uh, sorry, the natural nutritionist you as a well. Book.
1: You got a book as well, don't you? Oh, the um, yes, yes. the real
0: food athlete. Thank you, I do. So, I'll um, I'll send you a copy of that. Oh, and awesome. yes, the, there is information available on my site. But pretty much everything we've discussed today is in the real food athlete, as well as you know, 75 really simple foundational real food recipes, including. Um, my gel freedom fuel, and all the recipes that I've created to um, kickstart you know moving away from those conventional refined products and fueling your body with natural whole food.
1: Beautiful. So that'll all be in the show notes guys, and if you haven't checked out the real food real podcast, make sure you do. So thank you so much for spending some time with me, Steph today.
0: You're very welcome. I've loved our chat. Thank you so much for having me on the show.
1: You're very welcome too. (laughs) So, guys, as always, if you've loved what you've heard today, please make sure you share us with a buddy and leave a ratings and review on iTunes or Stitcher because that's how others find love and guts and can fill up on the content from our experts too. Thank you for making it to the very end of this podcast episode. Just one more thing before you go, though. If you're tired of having sluggish digestion that leaves you feeling bloated, toxic, flatulent, flat, or if you suspect that you may have SIBO, please do get in contact. You don't have to live with these discomforts. I've seen many people transform simply by seeking the support of a qualified clinician such as myself. So please do get in contact as I would love to help you obtain your optimum health. My naturopathic and nutrition consultations are run online, which means if you're located anywhere in Australia, I can work with you. You can book a consultation directly online. Simply go to my website, lindagrippridge.com, go to the of an appointment page or send me an email at info at and if you're unsure whether seeing a holistic practitioner is right for you schedule in a complimentary 15-minute q a session with me where you get the opportunity to ask how my consultations are run and what to expect from my treatment plans again simply go to my website go to the book a consultation page and you will find the tab there
0: Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love.